Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, uh, chapter 20, verse 45, through chapter 21, verse 4. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everybody. It's good to see you all. And especially at this time, uh, I just wanted to say we had... About 12 people joined me for four weeks of intensive study and learning and just fellowship. And it's a very uh, incredible joy for me to do this for our new members of our congregation. I think we have the wording on the screen. You can follow along, but this is the question. These are the questions I'll be asking them at this time. Would you please stand if you're a new member? Do you acknowledge yourselves to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly des- deserving his displeasure and without hope except in his sovereign mercy? And if you believe, you have to say, I do. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and depend upon him alone for salvation? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ? Do you promise to serve Christ and his church by supporting and participating in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to further its unity and peace? You may be seated. These brothers are now instated as full members of this EM congregation with full access to serve in our various ministries, and vote. Um, Why don't we welcome them with a round of applause. So we have uh, some certificates. Brian Shin. Here you go, Brian. Welcome. Yeah, why don't you show your face? There you go. All right, next. 
It's a good looking face. You can have a seat now. Grace, Grace Tack. Here you go. Welcome. Make sure you show your faces, guys. Uh, Chesuk Lee. There you go. Welcome. Samuel Lee. Welcome, brother. <laughs> Sarah Lee. David One. Welcome, brother. Esther Rue. Welcome, sister. Kevin Smith. Welcome. Jamie Smith. And Sue Yoon. Let's welcome them all one more time. Welcome, sister. I actually had such a great time with them the last four weeks getting to know them and just seeing the potential that we have as a ministry with very different giftings and characters, as you can see. But it just brings a smile to my face that they can join us and we can endeavor together to build this church. We also have something very special going on in the next week, in the coming weeks. And not just Japan, but our KM ministry is sending a group to Kazakhstan. And if you're familiar with that, I really do believe that God is doing something in Asia and East Asia we're sending teams to the Philippines, Japan, Kazakhstan, because God is moving. And if you don't know, it's hard because, you know, the media won't report something on, let's say, a few conversions here and there, or a hundred conversions, or a thousand conversions, or people coming to Christ, and cities being changed. But people that see it firsthand are the teams that go out. And I want to introduce a brother that is going with the KM this year, and actually, Tonight, he's leaving to go to Kazakhstan for a few weeks. And if I can just invite our brother Louis Lee to come up, he's going to share a little bit about the mission trip. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Louis. Uh, I used to be a college leader in the past. Now I'm serving for the college uh, and adults um, KM. Uh, the reason why I'm going to Kazakhstan, uh, um, I'm sorry. The reason why I'm up here is because I want to share a little bit about um, my mission trip. Um, tonight through June 1st, I'll be going to Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. That's in Central East Asia. and. Um, I'm sorry, Central Asia. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we have about 12 members from KM adults that are going. going. And, um, and the reason why we're going is our church has been uh, supporting a theo theological seminary school. And they have nine mem 
nine students that are graduating on the 27th. We're actually going to do the ceremony and um, at the same time, we're going to introduce uh, something called Coffee Break. Coffee Break is a small group. Um, within the small group, we have Bible study and we share coffee and snacks. <laughs> um, pretty much, um, I do have a prayer request with everything going on, especially the <laughs> airplane going disappearing. I do have a prayer request for a safe travel, and I would like to have a fruitful moment. Thank you. Just take care. Like uh, our brother asked, why don't we just take time to pray for him and lift up a prayer to the Lord for not just traveling mercies, but for God's will to be done through Lewis and the team that is going. Let's take a few moments to pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunity for us to go out and be your hands and feet to the ends of the earth. And quite literally, you send us out so that we can do ministry, um, to see lives changed in what seemingly mundane, um, small things like drinking coffee together, but being able to share the love of Christ with the community there. And Lord, we thank you that we have members in our congregation that are bold, that have been convicted by your spirit to step out, even though it may be potentially dangerous and foreign and unknown, Lord God, but to follow those convictions to go wherever you lead them. And we especially pray for our brother here right now. He's been a very precious and valuable member in our congregation who has been praying for us as well. And Lord, we lift up prayers for him now. And we ask that you would be with him. May the peace of Christ rest upon his life. And may boldness and courage come forth from his spirit. Because Lord God, it will be your spirit leading him and the team. We lift them up to you. We pray for great success. May lives be changed. May people come to know Christ. And Lord God, may you receive all the glory and honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we've been on the book of Luke, and we're kind of coming toward the tail end now. And I've been taking excerpts here and there um, because there's just so much, right? And we are now in already uh, in chapter 21. I went to a conference for a denomination that we were vetting at the time, and now we uh, want to join this denomination. And it's the eco denomination. And this denomination had a conference, uh, a few deacons and pastors, and myself, we went. And I remember uh, there were about a few thousand people at the time, and there was a little break, and I was so happy. There's this little break. And uh, we went, and I went, oh, I need to get some coffee. So they had a little Starbucks. So I, 
I went to the Starbucks, and the line from the Starbucks was maybe like 200, 300 people. And I was just standing on line, and then people were making small talk. And the small talk that we were, we were having was about churches and the difficulty these churches had leaving the PCUSA. And some churches had such, um, such a hard time. Um, and one of these churches that we knew was a Highland Park, and we were talking about the Highland Park Presbyterian Church, and another person was sharing about his struggles, and, you know, I was sharing about our struggles, the struggles that we had as a church trying to leave the denomination, but graciously. And I remember talking, and I was in line, and they wanted to talk to me, because I'm introverted, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want my coffee, some tunnel vision coffee. And they, they just like tap me on my shoulder, two different people, and they want to talk to me. So I said, okay, I should be like a Christian. So I, I turned around, and I'm having this conversation. And then as we have this long conversation, the line is moving, and I'm realizing something. I'm realizing that our positions are shifting, and now of the three people that were in this uh, discussion triangle now I'm behind these two people and I'm thinking how did I get behind them is this an elaborate plan that they concocted to get in front of me but uh yeah that 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 that's just an admission of my sinful self you know people are sharing their life stories how difficult it is in their church and I'm like why are you cutting me in line at Starbucks um, but Highland Park is actually a very um, interesting, uh, there's an interesting story behind it. And we were lifting up prayers as a denomination for this church. Um, they're, they're quite large. They're a mega church. And there's a story that's famous in this church that a lot of people know about. But Leighton Farrell was the pastor there for a long time. And he knows of many amazing things that God did. But one of the things that happened was the previous minister and um, just a businessman made a covenant together. They made a covenant together and they said, we are going to give a tithe of all that we have. So we're going to get 10% of all of our income. So they made a covenant together. And the first year, uh, he made $10,000. So he gave $1,000. And the second year, he made $100,000. So he gave $10,000. And the third year, he made a million dollars as a businessman. So he gave $100,000. And the fourth year, he got a phone call, uh, the pastor. He said, this year, I earned $6 million dollars. I can't bring myself to give $600,000. Is there any way you can pray so I can get out of this covenant? So on the phone, the minister put the phone down and started praying. And as he was praying, uh, you know, the businessman was like, what's going on? And so he asked, is everything okay? Are you praying for me? And he said, yes, I'm praying for you. He's like, are you praying that I can get out of this covenant? And the minister said, no, I'm praying that you, you make $10,000 again. But don't get confused. Like, even though this is a true story, this isn't a story solely about tithing. 
It's a story that shows us the reality of who we are. And as money comes into the picture, things start changing. This is a reality that we have to see. And it's no wonder in this story, the final clash between the teachers and the, of the law and Jesus is this story. The final clash between the leaders of the society, meaning the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the laws, before he was crucified, is this story. Because Jesus always seems to be warning his listeners about the teachers of the laws and the Pharisees, don't, doesn't he? He called the Pharisees lovers of money. And now in this passage, he criticizes the teachers of the law for their nice outfits. So I put on a really nice outfit today um, just to be humble. What's going on, though? What does it mean to put on a nice outfit? Who were these teachers? Who were these scribes? Well, they had prayer shawls. And prayer shawls had tassels on them attached to their four corners. It was beautifully made. And it distinguished you from everybody else. It commanded unrivaled authority. And this is what the teachers of the law had. They were given the best seats of the synagogue. And their seats, the seats that they took were literally called the first seats. They were given the first seats. And the thing is, when they walked through the marketplace, and Jesus mentioned this, but when they would walk through the marketplace, everybody would get up because they are revered, right? Everybody would get up except the laborers who were working. But everybody would get up. And here Jesus is saying to those people who have their extremely nice outfits, but what it does is command authority, is that these people you have to watch out for. And he denounces the teachers of the law for something, for something incredible. What is he denouncing them for? He is denouncing the teachers of the law for devouring widows' houses. Now, we don't exactly know how, we don't know exactly how these teachers of the law did this, but we do know what widows are, right? And we do know that widows are women who had lost their husbands. The way that Luke describes it is penicrin. And penicrin is the only, it's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. Penicrin means in need, in want, wretched. When you call somebody needy today, it's not a good thing. And it means that that person is pretty much wretched. You're so needy. It means you're a wretched person. And that is exactly what Penicrin meant. This person was wretched. This, was in, this person was in incredible need. Because widows weren't just people with deceased husbands. What that meant was now because they have no head of household in this culture, in this society, they were the most vulnerable but verse 47 is a backdrop of what's to come. So these verses have to be put together. I know there's a chapter division, but they have to be put together because they devour widows' houses is a backdrop of the coming verses. Now the picture is Jesus looks up because where is he? He's in the temple. 
And where is he exactly? He's where the temple treasury is. The temple treasury was in the court of women. And the treasury was set up like this. There were 13 shofar chests. And shofar just means ram's horns. And so uh, the chest would be kind of a smaller opening and it would um, kind of expand as you go down. So there's, you can't steal from the chest. And so there were 13 chests. And there were new shekel dues, old shekel dues. There were uh, bird offerings, young bird offerings, wood offerings, frankincense offerings, gold offerings. And then there were the remaining six. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, there's one for the mercy seat. And the remaining six was for the free will offerings. And each, each chest had something that you had to give. So if you were giving for the frankincense, there was an amount that you had to give. But the free will offering was if you wanted to give uh, any amount. And so Jesus notes that this woman is giving two small copper coins. Two small copper coins was the minimum that you can give at the time. It was not lawful to give less than two lepta, which was the smallest coin in circulation. And if we translated it today... It was either a penny or about half a penny. That's how much it was worth. One leptin was maybe 132nd of a actual denarius, which is what you made in a day. And Jesus says this woman, this woman, this widow, who gave two small copper coins, this negligible amount of money, she sa- he says that she gave all that she had to live on. How does Jesus know? Does he have superior knowledge? Supernatural knowledge? Does he have some kind of psychic ability? Probably. But there was also another way. When you gave to the free will offering, a priest would examine. A priest would examine the free will offering, and whatever it was, he would announce. He would announce it. Just to say that, oh, I'm going to give this much. And someone would have to examine it. It's like, oh, right, you are this much. Uh, you are giving this much. Just as if we gave offering now, we put it in our offering offering envelope, and you can write the amount that you give. But someone has to check it, right? So you can write down Eugene Kim, $5 million, but someone's going to open the envelope, and they need to check exactly how much it is. But it was similar at the time. You would say, I'm going to give this, and the priest would examine that money, that currency, and they would say, it is this much. They would say it out loud. So a rich person might come and say, I want to give a free will offering, and I want to give $500,000. And the priest would say, $500,000. And then he would be able to deposit it. Everyone around would hear. Can you imagine that embarrassment? You know, even us now, when you have to give, some people, I mean, we, some people might think, You know, why even bother giving the change in my pocket? But it is all I have, and I want to give it to them. Just because in the back of your head, and I'm just trying to be real here, in the back of your head, you might think, the person that's going to open this envelope might think, why even bother giving a $1.50? What's the point? What would have compelled this widow to give what she had? Can you imagine the embarrassment? Why even bother? I mean, 
if the collection basket is even being passed around and you literally had only a few cents to live in, live with, live on, why would you bother throwing that in? And before we get to that, we see that Jesus makes a fact of the matter statement. He says in verse 4, The rich give out of their abundance. She gave up everything, all that she had to live on. He's making a statement here. And according to the law, if we are really following the law that Jesus and the scribes and the teachers should have known, then the widow was supposed to be taken care of. She should not have been neglected. And she should not have been in such a street extreme state of need and wretchedness. There's two things that he's been teaching. And this is what the Bible is also teaching. And this is what they have been neglecting. Instead of compassion for the widow, we have ne- contempt. Instead of offering her help or assistance, we ignore Instead of honoring her, we disparage. Jesus never, but Jesus never, uses someone just to make an example. So we got to get this first point, though, before I get into that. The first point is, he is upset. He's upset that we are in a society where we do not help people that are in need. In fact, we disparage them. We belittle them. We consider them less than ourselves. We think, oh, you just got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You have to man up or woman up and get out there and work. And we don't do anything to help. And Jesus is upset. He's angry at what is going on in this community, in that society. And yes, He is speaking out against anybody who would disparage the poor because he is showing us that he is with the poor. But Jesus never just uses someone to make an example. You know, if someone was a paralytic paralytic and came up to him and he was suffering because of this illness and he was hungry and he um, he wasn't clothed well, there was no shelter, and he said, this is terrible. How can people, where's your family? Why aren't people taking care of you? This is a terrible thing that society has done for you, done to you. And Jesus might say that, and he does at times, but he just doesn't say this is terrible and rage against society, which is the tendency a lot of us who are prone to social justice do. We look at them and be like, that's terrible. How can we be people like this? This is you know, this is the civilized world. This is America. We don't act like this. And we can raise and we can put it on our social media and we can, we can just uh, protest. But Jesus just doesn't only do that. Imagine a paralytic came up to him and all he did was protest. And then he just walked away. But he didn't. When the paralytic came up to him, he would heal the paralytic. When someone blind came up to him, he would heal the blind. So is Jesus just simply making an example out of the widow? Some people might think so, but I don't think so. 
And if you look at this passage, he is not just making an example out of the widow. He is saying that I now consider this widow's offering to be greater than all other offerings. Whatever she has given, I accept. And that offering is better than every single other person. That rich person that just gave, better than that. You see... The question that remains, if we only protest and don't do anything about the people who have been hurt in the past, in the past, is that the question that remains is, what about the injustice that's already been done? What about the injustice that's already been done? What about the hurt that you've already received? What about that? Am I going to neglect that? And we can fight for wages. We can fight for uh, certain social justice issues. And these are great things. But the question remains, what about the poverty that they lived in in the past? What are you going to do to help them with that? And the answer is you can't do anything, can you? What can you possibly do? What can we possibly do because this person has already suffered? This person has already seen hunger. This person has already been through such traumatic events what could you possibly do but Jesus addresses it and he just doesn't address it as a protester he addresses it as God and he says this person this widow's offering is greater than all these other offerings can there be justice for the widow for every tear that she shed for every heartache that she had, for every ounce of suffering that she had to go through, is there an answer for that? And the answer is a resounding yes. By considering her offering greater than all the other offering, Jesus is raising the widow up to a place that is beyond the reach of any other rich person at that table. Jesus is accepting her gift. Yes, he is angry at the teachers of the law, not just for their neglect, but their avid defrauding of the helpless. But he just doesn't stop there. He just doesn't punish evil and leaves it at that. He punishes evil, but he lifts up the helpless. He saves them. He saves the poor. There's a parable that Jesus gives earlier in this gospel, and it's a parable of Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man. And in that lifetime, Lazarus would yearn to just eat the scraps off of the rich man's tables. This is what the dogs would do. If there were scraps off a table, the dogs would eat it. But he was so poor, and he was so wretched, that he yearned to just eat scraps off of someone's table. And you see, he died in that parable, hungry and homeless. But God lifted him up to a place with him in heaven. He was literally chilling with Abraham when he has a conversation with the rich man again. And the most interesting part about that story is Lazarus who was a nobody here on this earth. Nobody. No one even cared to give him food that they they would give to even dogs. No one cared for this man, and yet 
Lazarus is the name that is recorded in the story. Who remembers your pain, your suffering, all the ounce of heartache that you went through, every single ounce, God remembers them. And he just doesn't dismiss them. He remembers them and he cares for you and he will give you justice. He saves the helpless. He saves the poor. God's justice will be done. The rich man went to hell. And interestingly enough, the rich man never asked to get out. He never said to Abraham, please get me out. In fact, the the fascinating part about the rich man's story is he wanted Lazarus to come into hell, dip his finger in water, and put it on his tongue because he's suffering so much now. He'd rather have Lazarus come into hell and suffer with him than him go to heaven. That's how much he wanted to be away from God. And Lazarus was the one with the mercy given. God's justice will be done. God's mercy will be given. This gospel is a gospel for the poor. If you have suffered, then know that God remembers it. And he will not forget it. And he will pay back. But he will lift you up. He is a good God. He just doesn't say to anybody, man up, woman up. He doesn't say that. In fact, he's the one that lifts you up. So what do we do now? How do we respond as people with this hope and this faith? How do we respond? We respond by fighting injustice. Yes, we should stand against the things that would disparage our neighbor by standing with them just as God did. We do these things by going, of course, overseas. But there are people in our community. There are people in Patterson that we go to once a month, once a month for two hours. And we pray with them. We worship with them. And we help feed them. We do these things because we know that God is with them. And we go where God is. How do we respond? You respond by fighting injustice, by giving back what you have been given. What's the other side? What if, you, what if you're just like, I, I don't care. It just, it's not my calling. I don't feel like it. Well, I have to say, that is not the attitude of Lazarus. In fact, that is more towards the attitude of the rich man. And if God would have mercy, I pray that he would have mercy on that kind of thinking. John D. Rockefeller is famous because he was the first billionaire in our world's history. He was the first billionaire. By the time he was 23, he uh, made uh, his first million. And by the time he was 50, he made his first billion. At 53, he got sick. And some of you may know this story, but his entire body became racked with pain. He lost all his hair. With all the money in the world, the physicians at the time could not help him. He was only able to digest two things, milk and crackers. That's all he ate. And his best personal physicians said, you have maybe a year to live. 
he did something. He realized that money couldn't save him, that all the money in the world couldn't buy him even a second, a second to his time, and he started giving it away. He started giving it away, and we have many things in New York City that remind us of what he gave, and he actually lived to 98. There was an Australian monk who was so happy that now Mother Teresa was coming to visit. And this monk was going to be the person that would uh, usher her around. And when she, she came, he would usher her around. And he wanted to ask and learn from her so much about what she did because it was so great, all the work that she had been doing. But she was so busy. Everywhere she went, she had to meet people. So he would just be ushering her from place to place, and they would be meeting person to person. And finally, she just had to go. She, took, she had to go to New Guinea. <clears throat> and then he went to Mother Teresa. I had absolutely no time to spend with you, but I have some savings. I have saved enough to go to New Guinea with you. Could I spend some time with you to learn from you if I go to New Guinea? And this is what Mother Teresa said. He said, if you have money, she said, if you have money to fly to New Guinea, then give it to the poor. You will learn more from doing that than following me. What do we do now? We know what there, we have to do. We know right across the street there are people in need. I think the bigger question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? God wants to stand beside you, use you, and have you give you joy to the fullest by, by you living out your purpose. What are you waiting for? Let's start acting. Let's start giving. Justice needs to be done. And the amazing thing about God is that he will use us, us, as his hands and feet, as imperfect as we may be. He is willing to use us to bring about his justice into this world, his kindness, his mercy. And my encouragement to our church members is give it a shot. Try it. Go out and see if God doesn't move through you and you are not blessed. I honestly believe that every short-term mission that we have been on, that I have been on, and I go there, we think, oh, we're going to help these people, these poor, wretched people. We're going to help them. But I always come back thinking, I've been helped more. I've been blessed more. I didn't give enough because I thought I was going there to help them. But in the end, I have been even more blessed. This is such an ironic endeavor that we do when we go on missions. But when we follow God, when we, when we listen and obey God does something amazing where when we think we're going to bless, when we're going to maybe lose out and sacrifice a little, God gives even more on top. You can think about it in all areas of life. And the three things that I, I, I try to teach and share is time, energy, and money. Your time, energy, and money, give it to the Lord. Use it to serve the church, help the poor. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Let's reflect on what has been preached 
and the message that we have received. Whatever it is that we have to respond with, however small or however large it is, when we give it, we give it to the Lord. And when we give it, we give all that we have to him and he will receive it. And what is the Holy Spirit convicting you now to do? How is God moving your heart to participate in the work that he is doing in his church? And I don't just mean pilgrim church. I mean his church, his invisible church that is all around the world that you are a part of, that you are a member of. What are you waiting for? Take this time to commit yourself to the Lord so that you can give him your time, your money, and your energy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because all things come from you. Everything that we have, every article of clothing on our back, every dollar that we have in our wallet, every energy, every ounce of energy that we have, all the time that we've been given, everything has come from you. And Lord God, we thank you for blessing us so much. We thank you for pouring out this incredible grace upon our lives. And Lord, here we see that you call us to stand up for those who can't stand up on their own. Here we see that we are to give sacrificially more than we would think until we think it would hurt. And these are the offerings that you ask from us because Lord God, you want to bless us. You want to be with us. Lord God, I pray that instead of fear, now that you would instill within us a peace, knowing that the decisions that we make, when we lift it up to you, you will honor and you will receive. And this is what we want to do. We want to honor you. We want to give you glory. So speak to your people now. In Jesus' name we pray.